Hey there, John here. We are so glad you're listening to the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. If you're new to the show, I hope you find something here you'll enjoy and that gives you a reason to come back. If you've been listening for a little while or a long while, as is the case with so many of you, I want to ask a favor. Would you consider introducing us to just one friend this week? There's really no better method of advertising than word of mouth. Pick a friend who shares your sense of humor or interests, even if they don't know what a podcast is, and tell them why our show has become a regular listening for you. And be bold. Help them get a podcast app on their phone and walk them through how to subscribe to the show. We love that you're here and would greatly appreciate your recommendation. Thanks for your time. Now, let's get on with the show. Hi, I'm Marcus, and I support Gen X Grown Up through Patreon. You can, too, by visiting patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast listener, to this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. I am John. Joining me as always is Mo. Hey, everybody. You know that George is here. Hey, how's it going, guys? You know, it was 40 years ago that a small alien visitor was accidentally Jeez. stranded on our planet. He befriended a young boy and his family, developed a taste for Reese's Pieces, and absolutely dominated the box office. In this episode, we are looking back on four decades of Steven Spielberg's Gen X masterpiece, E.T., the extraterrestrial. Oof, 40 four years, holy decades. cow. Can you believe that? No. Yeah, it's been some time. Before we get into talking <laughs> all about E.T., though, let's take a second to read some fourth listener email. Our fourth listener this time around is Tom W. He hit us up over on Facebook, dropped us a line over there. Uh, here's what Tom had to say. Hi, Gen X G gang. Note, <laughs> I was born in 1963, so I'm not sure if I'm an extra or a boomer. Now, mathematically, I think they call that a late boomer, but yeah, listen, mm -hmm. if you're digging the show, I say we... It's fine with us. We're going to grandfather in Tom in as a Gen Xer, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I just listened to the autonomy episode. Oh, okay. Another one. Oh, wow. My parents totally free-arranged my siblings and I. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my dad, who worked the evening shift, would drop us six kids at a park in Los Angeles and told us to play until my mom, who worked days, got off work and picked us up. Wow, six kids. <laughs> Just hang out until your mom gets off. Sure, why not? Yeah. I mean, there's safety in numbers, so if anybody was going to mess with any of them, they were going to... There you go. <laughs> there were six of them, for that sake. <laughs> right. Kick that person's rear end, so... <laughs> the thing is, we weren't the only parentless kids who hung out there for the same reason. One time, one of my brothers got jumped. You were just saying safety mm -hmm. in numbers, they got jumped. One of my brothers got jumped by a couple of older kids, and the other six of us, I was six at the time, joined in to fight them That's off. That's right. Told you. Yep. <laughs> oh, my oldest brother was tough as nails and told us to defend each other. It was Lord of the Flies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. When my mom found out what happened and saw the cuts and bruises, she just asked what happened, who won, and who needs a spanking. <laughs> <laughs> 
no no police, no, you know, going crazy with it. No, you handled that stuff internally back exactly. then. Exactly. <laughs> We're handling that internally. Internal <laughs> affairs of the family will handle this. Don't you worry. Yeah. Lord of the Flies, Gladiator. What they have lunchboxes, awesome. George? They, like like mm-hmm. you had, slinging lunchboxes each. I'm sure they probably I did. You the six-year-old was slinging one. Yep. <laughs> oh, that's a great story. Thank you, Tom. We're I've so- been taking shins out left and right with my lunchbox. <laughs> You fill it with rocks, you said, right? Is that oh, the plan? If you need to. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the situation calls for. No rules in <laughs> playground fighting. Tom, we're so grateful that you enjoyed the episode and you took the time to write in. We love it every time. Our fourth listener drops us a line. If you would like your email or Facebook comment or whatever, right here on the show, you just hit us up on Facebook like Tom did or write us at podcast at genxgrownup.com. We'll read every single one and most of them like Tom's will eventually make this show. All right. With that good business behind us, it's time to jump into E.T., the extraterrestrial, right before we get back. Stick around. Guys, for the last few weeks, we have been checking out Factors ready-made meals. Now, they tell us that eating better is easy with their delicious ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, ready to go in two minutes. All that is great. It wouldn't matter if it didn't taste good. So mm-hmm. I've, we've, I've had several. I've been eating them every couple of nights. I'll try one of these Factor meals. And then I had this turkey chili, and wow, was that good. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my fiancé is vegetarian vegan actually so i went with the, yes. with the vegetarian option oh okay and, you did for the whole box okay yeah for the whole box you know because they have like over 35 different options you can choose from like every single week mm-hmm. so i went with the vegan option or the vegetarian option and let me tell you they were pretty freaking amazing yeah matter of okay. fact she yeah. stole half of them one to start with wow. <laughs> she took so. them from you yeah yeah my <laughs> wife and i have been trading out saying oh you try this and you try this and check it out mm-hmm. <laughs> it was surprisingly good and again like i didn't realize that even that some of these that were even vegetarian i didn't even know that didn't even know wow hmm. so what's really cool though is that if you want to add something extra to all these different meal choices that mm-hmm. you're talking about, there's like 60 different add-ons to help you get going <laughs> and feel good basically all day long. And I don't mean mm-hmm. just like like an extra side or something like that. Like there's a whole bunch of breakfast add-on meals that you can add on to your subscription, not add on yeah. to the right, dinner yeah. meal, but like mm-hmm. to add to your meal plan for the day. And mm. I just think it's, it's really awesome that they give you all these different choices so that you're not just tied into just dinner or just lunch. Having breakfast mm-hmm. as part of one of these meal plans is, I think, kind of unique. I haven't seen that before in any of these meal yeah. delivery services. So I don't know what everybody's waiting for. It's time to get started <laughs> and get after your goals right now. Fuel up fast with Factors restaurant quality meals are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Pancakes and smoothies? Yes, please. Discover a <laughs> wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping or cooking or even cleanup required. Just throw it in the trash when you're done. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Let me tell you, if you're looking for something fast with premium options, Factor is the perfect solution for you. You guys know I'm the spreadsheet guy. Yep. I have done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every single meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Just head over to factormeals.com slash genx50 and use code genx50 to get 50% off. That's code genx50 at factormeals.com slash genx50 to get 50% off. Be sure to subscribe to or follow Gen X Grown Up wherever you listen. And while you're there, rate and review the show, too. It helps more than you know. In 1975, he directed Jaws. In 1978, 
he directed Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In 1981, he directed Raiders of the Lost Ark. And now, Steven Spielberg brings us E.T., the extraterrestrial. We will witness the arrival, the search, the desertion, the fear, the discovery, the friendship. I'm keeping him. The secret. The love. The warning. The signal. The mystery. The danger. The intrusion. The wonderment. The enchantment. The hope. The connection has been made. Universal Pictures presents Steven Spielberg's E.T. The Extraterrestrial. It was June 11th, 1982, that E.T., the extraterrestrial, first hit theater screens. Uh, I remember going out to see it, didn't know what I was in for, <laughs> had no idea. Uh, if you are one of the rare people that have not seen the film, spoilers are going to be included in this backtrack, as you might imagine. <laughs> it's really 40 years, it's not a spoiler. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it is. It's already spoiled at that point. After yeah, 40 really, years, yeah. it's spoiled. <laughs> it's been on the shelf for a while. Even a McDonald's hamburger is gone after that. Uh, that's saying something, right? <laughs> In case you have not seen it or would like to refamiliarize yourself, the basic concept synopsis is after a gentle alien becomes stranded on Earth, the being is discovered and befriended by a young boy named Elliot. Bringing the extraterrestrial into a suburban California house, Elliot introduces E.T., as the alien is dubbed, to his brother and his little sister Gertie, and the children decide to keep its existence secret. Soon, however, E.T. falls ill, resulting in government intervention and a dire situation for both Elliot and the alien. Yeah. Uh, and that does not do this film justice. That's basically the the beats of the story. But as we'll get into a little later, and for good reason, this film had so much heart and it drove so much views and reviews and box office success and everything. It was just such a big film for its day for Spielberg. And I thought it was interesting to get us kind of kind of rolling is that I read that the initial concept that Steven Spielberg had for E.T. was based on an imaginary friend that he had created after his parents divorced to kind of help him cope. He had made up this imaginary huh. friend. And I could see that angle where when Elliot first gets E.T. and nobody knows about him and it's super secret. You're not allowed to talk about them to the parents or whatever. And that kind of, from a kid's point of view, is carried over in the entire film. When I realized, read doing research for this, that the majority of the film is shot from about three or four foot off the ground, a kid's eye view. That's interesting. Which I think is why when I watch this film again, I'm watching it like a kid again. And that's why you're seeing it like a kid would see it. You're not a parent. You're not a bird's eye view. Uh, and that, that carried over throughout the production of the film. And I think gives it a lot of its kind of flavor and style. Yeah, it was definitely a conscious effort on Spielberg's part. Mm, and yep. I think you can tell very easily by how much money was spent on the alien creature E.T. himself and the puppetry and everything else. Mm -hmm. They spent almost 10% of the $10.5 million budget just on creating E.T. and the other aliens and all the alien mm -hmm. wow, artifacts, which 
these days that's like, oh yeah, ten percent to me. That's no a million dollars on that stuff. Is he? But this nineteen eighty two. This is not <laughs> right. two thousand two mm-hmm. when everything is special effects and you give the rest to the actors. This was back when everything went to the actors and almost nothing went to set design and production and things like that. Yeah. You had mm-hmm. a couple of movies before this. You had. Uh, you know, your Star Wars and your Star Treks that had big sci-fi budgets, but this wasn't mm-hmm. that kind of film. This right. was a family tale. Nothing yeah, family yeah. tale spent a million dollars on <laughs> that kind of stuff. This is a little suburban. Yeah. I mean, for really for a kid's movie. Right. Yeah. It's a kid's movie. So over a million dollars spent on the E.T. puppet. I just rewatched it. I guess you guys probably browsed mm-hmm. it or rewatched mm-hmm. itself recently. Do you think that money holds up? What do you think of the E.T. puppetry? So there's not as much puppetry involved as you might think. We're going to talk about it a little bit later. Yeah, well, it's intermixed puppetry and actors. I know. Right. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff where people were portraying the character. So I'm not going to call it puppetry. Just I'll, because I'll say I'm, character effects. How about I that? don't what want do you think John the, to yeah. get his puppet yeah. fixed. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> we know how he gets about that. <laughs> but I rewatched it two days ago mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I know I'm going to get some emails on this possibly or some Facebook posts or whatever, but no, it does not hold up. The mm-hmm. aliens do not look good in today's visuals, but that doesn't change the heart of the film. Agreed. They just don't look yeah. good. Yeah, there are plenty of films that look terrible today like um ice pirates that film looks awful today <laughs> but, still but i still enjoy that film for the heart space that's space herpes right <laughs> <laughs> what do you think mo did they hold up for you what do you think watching? yeah i mean i watched it a couple days ago as well mm-hmm. and yeah the special effects don't the, it's dated let's just put it that way the right. special effects it's are dated. dated yeah but like yeah. george said i mean it, it really didn't distract me from the movie though to be honest i mean i still was able to watch through it it didn't like i'm like mm-hmm. it didn't like the special effects like caught my eye like oh my god that's terrible right. i just yeah. sort of just sort of there's only it. one spot where that happened for me and that's the thing that everybody loves about the et movies when the kids are flying around on the bicycles yeah, yeah. those look awful now yeah. bad that they compositing really looks like green bad. screen stuff yeah, yeah <laughs> like part yeah. of the bicycles disappear in some it's clipping out i know yeah. yeah yeah there are a few shots of et that look okay yeah but they're intercut between others that don't look so okay but in the end it's the memory of the movie really and it, as you said doesn't damage the heart that's why it was such a success yeah well and 40 years ago they must have stood the test of time at that point because it was the highest grossing movie of all time worldwide uh, for mm. at least mm. 11 years until Spielberg released Jurassic Park in 93. Jeez. That's saying something. So he, had, what, he was back. He beat his own record then, huh? Yeah. I mean, you know. I remember this thing. It came out of left field. I mean, I'm sure if you were in the know, but of course, pre-internet, we didn't hear it was coming or whatever until mm. you saw a trailer. But it wasn't clear as like, oh, it's something about aliens. But I don't know. I was expecting like a Close Encounters 2 or something. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be more. There are a lot of Close Encounter ties in this yeah, movie. A lot, yeah, a lot of alien monstery things in this. And it wasn't that. As you said, it was it was a story of people as a family, a single parent household with this extraordinary circumstances coming in on them. Well, and oddly enough, you know, still just to finish up on the money stuff, adjusted for inflation today, mm-hmm. this is still the fourth highest grossing movie of all oh, time. Geez. That's today. awesome. Wow. Fantastic. I mean, you think about it. You're talking about Marvel movies in that list, Harry Potter movies in that list, James Bond movies in that list, and E.T. adjusted for inflation, the fourth highest of all time. Yes. I still remember the movie came out. I didn't see it right away. And I wound up not being able to see it for a while just because the lines were so damn long the entire summer. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so it does surprise me that it made that much money. No, re- no reserved seating. You actually yeah. had to wait in line and right. sit where you got a seat. <laughs> yep. 
you got in one corner of the theater and your mother got in the other corner <laughs> of the theater. But you're both in there. Oh, so all right. See, after the show. That's yeah. right. That was the best part of going to films back then that I like. Like when I was still too young to go by myself. So I had mm-hmm. to have a chaperone or a parent, but going into a full movie like that and being said, oh, we can't sit together. Really? We can't yeah, sit okay. together? <laughs> so, so, so here's All your right. own popcorn. Here's your own. <laughs> exactly. That was so much fun. It was part of that childhood autonomy thing mm. we just did. And, and the, right. Talking about the special effects <laughs> and the alien. I mean, E.T., the alien itself, I thought was pretty cool. Like the creation of the, the figure. Um, and that's actually done by like, uh, Carlo Rambaldi, who actually did the same aliens for Close Encounters. So apparently Spielberg liked him <laughs> for Close Encounters. There's the start of those connections you were talking That's about. That's why I was talking. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of Close Encounter third kind tie-ins because Spielberg, he did model this film somewhat after that. Because Close Encounters of Third Kind, it's not far off from E.T. It's just a mm. bigger scope. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. still the wonderment. We, we're not sure about these aliens. What are they doing? Blah, blah, blah. Government mm-hmm. getting involved, of course. And turns out, you know, there's a there's an innocent that gets brought onto the ship. You know, I right. mean. Right. Well, so principal photography for E.T. Uh, started in Los Angeles County neighborhoods in the San Fernando Valley in 1981, September 8th. So they started shooting. Much like with Star Wars, which was, I think, what Blue Horizon or Blue, I forget. It had a code name. Yeah. Some fourth listeners are screaming at me right now. Uh, but anyway, it had a code name. They shot it under the uh, the secret name, the cover name, A Boy's Life, because Spielberg didn't want anybody to know he was doing a movie about aliens and plagiarize the plot or kind of scoop in and, and try to steal his thunder with another alien movie. Well, and uh, it may also have been because there were some other plagiarism type of things that got bantied about at the time. Believe it or not, people allege that Spielberg himself plagiarized this from something else. Really? So, yeah, there was a script called The Alien from 1967. So, obviously, a long time before E.T. Mm-hmm. The script had been going around Hollywood. It was from an Indian director named Sadayad, something Indian, Ray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Sorry, I'm not trying to be mean, but I can't pronounce it. Oh, we're going to get such emails on that one. Okay. Who stated, <laughs> he said, E.T. would not have been possible without my script of the alien being available throughout the United States in mimeographed oh, copies. Oh, jeez, that takes you back. Mimeographed. <laughs> Spielberg's reply was, I was a kid in high school when that script was circulating around in Hollywood. There's no way that I could have plagiarized from this. Now, I read some other articles and went digging deeper into it. Other people, uh, like Martin Scorsese, who's a friend of Spielberg's, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. he even said, yeah, Spielberg stole some shit from this. Really? But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so, is anything completely 100% original from... I mean, it's- I can't imagine you know writing myself. I get inspired from other things. Yeah. So to say that it's 100% original thought, no. It, I don't think it can be because you derive your ideas and your dreams and your thoughts mostly from your past experiences. Mm, yeah, for sure. But plagiarism, that's like that's a bold just step. copying words. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I haven't looked to see what this alien screenplay was about. Yeah, I but, either. You know, I'm guessing it had themes like an alien coming to Earth and befriending a boy. Uh, okay. That's a pretty broad paintbrush yeah, to paint with is. before you, you, you straight up say it's plagiarism. I mean, if there's yeah. so if there's a phrase in there about phoning home, okay, we might maybe. have it. That's a different maybe. story. Right. If he has Could that be. one. <laughs> you know, something else that was interesting about the movie, though, is that Spielberg actually filmed in chronological order. 
which is kind of unusual. Usually they kind of film it mm-hmm. wherever is most efficient, right? Wherever is right. the cheapest and most efficient way of using sets yeah, like and whatnot. Do everything on this set one right. day and then do all the yep. stuff in this area the next day. Yeah. Or who's in costume this day. Exactly. Do his makeup once, right? Yeah. But they said he did it that way, though, because one, there's, you know, all these kid actors. And I guess it helped the kid actors with the workload and also helped, I guess, get more emotional performances because I guess people didn't have to, like, switch back and forth between one and the other. Oh, sure easier to stay in character the yeah. kids can take that logical progression they can get right. accustomed to the story and they how where are we am i sad now and if it's jump from sad to happy on data uh, that makes sense yeah and i have to huh. go back and say okay kid now you're just seeing alien for the first time but i've been working with them for mm-hmm. four months no no this is the first time you've seen <laughs> no. him act surprised you're just seeing him <laughs> <laughs> pretend you've never seen right. it's one of the rare movies where it's actually kids in yeah. the roles like how many times do we get like a 30 year old playing a high school kid right yeah right this is one of those times when it <laughs> Those kids were actually close to, if not those ages. Yeah, absolutely. That they were portraying on screen. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I get why he had to do it that way. Mm -hmm. One thing I found that was kind of funny is that you guys know that Harrison Ford was in this movie? Well, kind of. No, he wasn't. He was supposed to be. He actually filmed that he was like the principal in Elliot's school. And I guess they didn't like it because uh whatever reason but he's supposed to be uh reprimanding elliot for his behavior in biology class when he lets all the frogs out right oh yeah yeah well he, he should have gone to the principal's office well he did go to the principal's office because they called his mom right but they never showed the principal but so harrison ford was supposed to be the principal yeah and they actually yeah. cut that uh, scene out <laughs> well and oddly enough his face is never actually in the scene in any of those shots i've seen some oh, of really? his, his seen face is never there but it's oh, really? Harrison Ford. you can hear the voice you see the body from behind oh. yeah it's harrison ford <laughs> i had no idea harrison ford didn't technically make the movie but a lot of great actors and people in front of behind the scenes did make the cut we get back from this break we're going to talk about all that talent stick around hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're listening to Gen X Grown Up. But if you have a friend who's not yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. It's here. The E.T. board game. Now you can pretend to help E.T. go home. Danger! Sometimes you can hide. You're safe, E.T. And sometimes you can fly. Wow. Now the communicator's ready. E.T. phone home. <laughs> to the spaceship. The one that helps E.T. the most wins. Also sold separately, the E.T. card game. E.T. board game from Parker Brothers. Some assembly required. Whenever we're highlighting a film, one of the things we always like to focus on is the people that made it possible, whether behind the scenes or in front of the camera. We've talked quite a bit about Steven Spielberg and yeah. his approach to the film and where he came up with the idea or didn't, depending on who you believe or listen to. <laughs> but lots of great talent in front of the screen, including a lot of young actors, really brought this thing to life and gave it that heart you were talking about, George. Yeah, I mean, I would say probably one of the first ones that we need to talk about would be uh, Dee Wallace. So she plays Mary Taylor, Elliot's Mm -hmm. mother. She Mm -hmm. had been in a few things before that, most notably for me, The Howling. She was one of the people in that. Yeah, she was Karen White in The Howling. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, She was also in The Hills Have Eyes, another great Mm -hmm. cult classic Mm -hmm. horror film that I like. But she had to play an interesting role in this. So she was a single mother now. 
they did have a brief mention of it, one scene at the dinner table where Elliot really makes her feel like shit because the father went somewhere with his new girlfriend and she's like, he doesn't even like that place. Yeah. Kind of gut wrenching and Elliot makes her feel like, you know, shit even more. And the older brother gets on to him just like mm-hmm. it would happen in a family, yeah. except for maybe the older brother might punch him or something. Yeah, exactly. It felt so right. It felt so real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was one other scene with her that... I don't know. It still stands out in my mind after the rewatch that I did just a couple of days ago that I felt was a little, I don't know, off color, maybe a little weird. Hmm. Uh, So remember at the very beginning, uh, the older brother and his friends are playing Dungeons and Dragons at the table and Elliot's like, I want to play now. I want to play now. And the mother is in the kitchen in a very close environment because it's a small house, you know, Mm -hmm. in California. And she's doing stuff in the kitchen, but she's just wearing just a silk robe. And I thought that was a little (laughs) odd because these are teenage boys, you know, and stuff. And one of them, she bends over to put stuff in the dishwasher at one point. And Uh one of the friends goes to grab her ass in the scene. And the older brother smacks him and, you know, keeps him from doing it. I'm like, is this really something that should have been in E.T.? Did this need to be here? Yeah, that's weird. Is there an E.T. MILF? What's going on here? <laughs> no, really, it's, uh, it's, it, the scene I really liked her in, though, is like the first time she sees E.T. when he's sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think she behaved exactly like a real parent. Protect yeah. my kids. Protect, Protect my, my kids. kids. Get the kids right. out. Present, yep. Yeah. And she was right. calm. They didn't want to go. Like, nope, let's go. Nope. Nope. Yep. Nope. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. yeah. I said, that's real. Not like, oh my God, sick it. No, no, no. A real mom would grab her kids and get as far away as she possible. She was very caring and she portrayed a mom from yeah. that era that uh, you wanted to see. And especially a, a struggling mom who's a single mom and dealing with the kids. And you stay here. I got to go pick up your brother because he did shit. Yep. Right. So the, the next one I think makes sense to talk about is really the star of the show. I, uh, although, I really like Drew Barrymore, but it's on the star of the show who played Elliot in this film. Now, Spielberg auditioned allegedly hundreds of kids to play this role. One of the front runners was Keith Coogan, mm-hmm. a really well-known child actor. He was in The Waltons. He uh, started Adventures, Adventures in Baby City. That's <laughs> yep. right. Yep. But ultimately, and I've seen the screen test, Henry Thomas got the role of Elliot. And just watching the screen test, it's obvious why he got the role. What what he delivered on the day was what you saw on that tape that I saw. And he's talking about, no, you can't take him away from me, that kind of thing in the screen test. And you can feel his attachment to this alien throughout the film. He hasn't done a great deal later after he did this, but... Man, was he powerful as a as a child yeah. actor in this film as the central core of the relationship with the alien. I, I know I've seen interviews where he's talked about how this role not only defined him, it kept him from getting other roles later in life. Yeah. Uh, he didn't really start getting roles until he purposefully started doing stuff that was opposite of that character. Uh, uh, like yeah. when he started against doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. Against types type of stuff, you know, uh, like uh, part of a group of people who murder a woman at a bachelor party. Holy shit. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't the one that killed her, but... Okay, I'm not a nice kid anymore. Elliot was doing that garbage? <laughs> but that's the kind of thing that he had to go do. Well, that's why, right? You, like, you don't want to see Elliot doing that stuff, right? So he had to he had to break down that barrier so he could yeah. then get other roles. I get it. it yeah. ha- well, it happens to actors that have big roles in anything. They get typecast and it's tough to get other stuff. Well, next on the, the kid parade, another child actor played the, a little bit older, the older brother. Robert McNaughton played Michael Taylor. So it was Elliot's older brother. Okay. He was the one that's harassing him all the time. 
time. He, right. was, he was he was the brunt of my favorite insult of the movie, penis breath. Penis he breath. called him. Yeah. Shut <laughs> up, penis breath. Like, wow. <laughs> and D. Wallace actually broke character and chuckled I know. and they kept that in the movie. <laughs> that was great. Yep. Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> he was a little bit of he was kind of the, the I don't want to call a bad guy, but he was the guy that Elliot was working against for some time because he was a bit overbearing and he didn't want him to find out about the alien, though he confided mm. in his sister, not the older brother, because he was closer to being an adult than the kids were. And they were kind of at odds a bit. I think that uh, scene where they're playing Dungeons and Dragons in the kitchen really set mm-hmm. up their relationship well at That's the right. beginning of the movie because Elliot wants to participate. He's at that age where I want to hang with the bigger kids. Mm-hmm. I want to do the yep. cooler stuff. But his brother is at the age... No. Screw you. Stay away nope. from me and my friends. And yep. that's the animosity between them. But there's still a lot of loving scenes later on in the movie, you know, especially during the governmental chase stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to find E.T. when he's sick, laying face down in a ditch. He comes, to, he, he has his back when he needs it. Yeah, he does. I, he, I, he does. Right. I hate to say it, though. I think he's almost a bit of a throwaway character of the family. He's the one that jumps off the screen the least. Maybe that's the actor. Maybe it's mm-hmm. the character. I'm not really sure which, but of the family members, to me, he comes off the screen the least. His okay. character's reason for being there is he brings the muscle in the third act. He's the mm-hmm. one that brings his gang of kids to oh, right. help save the, to save the day, right? So, right. so save for that, you didn't really need that character, but as a supporting character, he did a fine job, I thought. Mm-hmm. I think the one that jumps off the screen almost more than anybody expected is the one that John loves a lot. Drew Barrymore is Gertie. <laughs> She's awesome. She's awesome. I mean, yes, she's the younger sister to Elliot Michael, but really she's her own star. This is the film that launched a career, a huge mega career of all the Mm -hmm. people in this film. Drew Barrymore is arguably the most accomplished since this film. Well, she is. She's from a huge acting family, too. I mean, she is. Of course. Big prestige. Look at her in this film. You rewatched it a couple of days ago. Mm -hmm. Look at the way she delivers some of those lines. And I think you can understand why Spielberg chose her for the role. He said that the reason why he picked her was she had the right imagination for the mischievous Gertie character Mm -hmm. after she impressed him by telling him of a story where she would lead a punk rock band. <laughs> and she's only like six or eight years old at this point in real life. Yeah, she's super young. I think she was like seven years old. That was yeah. it. I, I just read an article because the 40th anniversary is coming up that she and Spielberg have stayed very close and he's become like a mentor to her kids who are now that age. And she said mm. they are spending, they're getting together to watch <laughs> the film Uncle together Steven. on the anniversary because <laughs> they're so close. Yeah, they're so close. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think it's because of the relationship they developed on that film and I don't think well obviously he didn't develop that same relationship with any of the other actors no no he's not mentoring them right they didn't continue (laughs) on and I think she is outstanding in her own right she deserves a lot of credit for giving this film the twinkle of its eye like you know Mm -hmm. Elliot's the heart the brother's the muscle like you said the mother is the compassion but she's that little mischievous twinkle that really I don't know makes the whole thing fun when she dressed E.T. up yeah (laughs) perfect (laughs) He's running around in the dress and the hair and everything. That was mm-hmm. awesome. It was so much fun. You know, we get outside of the family unit there. And the next one that jumps out at me is, I guess he could be called the bad guy, but is he? And that's Peter yeah. Coyote, who played a character who never had a name. He was nicknamed and in the credits as Keys. Mm-hmm. Because you first see him in the opening scenes, you just see him like from the, the like belly down. And he's got this giant right. wad of keys hanging from his belt. And they jingle wherever he goes. But he's always on the 
the hunt. He's always on the prowl. He's suspicious. He's he's surveilling the house when he thinks something's going on. And for who is a bad guy to ultimately turn around a little later and and you don't even see his face until like the end of the second or beginning of yeah. the third act. He's revealed. And then you find out that maybe is a deeper story going on. It, it implies that he might have even befriended an alien when he was a young boy too. Mm-hmm. He says, I've been waiting for this for 40 years or whatever right. he said. He had some ominous qualities, but he also had some friendly qualities where he kind of supported Elliot through this. It seemed like he really wanted to help even though he was working for the government, right? Yeah. So, you know, the guy who plays Keys in this role, for me, I don't know why. I've seen him in other things from oh, the Oh yeah, 80s. he's got a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. He kind of reminds me as like, and I, I hate to say this, uh, low-rent Sam Watterson, the guy from <laughs> Law & Order. I yeah, don't yeah. know why. He just comes <laughs> off that way to me. He's like the Kmart version of <laughs> Of the Law and Order District Attorney. I don't know why, but he just comes off that way for me in everything I've ever he's seen. He's a huge character actor, though. He, yeah, he yeah. is, and he's, he's great. He's super talented, but yep. I don't know. He just reminds me too much of that guy. <laughs> I mean, we talked a lot about the kid actors in this, but there were a lot of like minor characters that really, I thought, did a really good job. You know, there was Casey Martell. He was like Greg, one of the three friends of the older brother. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, his gang. Yep. Sean yep. Fry, Steve, and I think it was another one of the characters. See Thomas Howell. That, I saw <laughs> this and I was like, oh my God, I know that guy. You know, yep. it was, I had forgotten that he was in this one. Who is he? He's one of the gang. Right. But in the, in, where do you know him from outside of this? Oh, see Thomas Howell? You don't know see Thomas Howell? It doesn't ring a bell. Really? No. Okay. Soul Man was one Soul of his Man. big films from the horrible, late 80s. But yeah. Okay. He has since played a lot of roles against type. He's played a lot of different cops on a lot of TV shows as he's grown older now. Yeah. Well, he was in The Outsiders. That was a big movie. The Outsiders, The Golden Boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just had to go look at a picture of him growing up. Now I get it. Okay. okay. C. Thomas Howell. <laughs> yeah. I didn't make that connection. I'll be damned. Yeah. And he wasn't even called C. Thomas Howell in the credits. If you read the credits as they roll by, he's Tom Howell. Oh, really? Tom Howell. Yeah. yeah. Little Tommy. Little Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, uh, the the pretty girl, as she's credited, who's the girl in this with the uh, the frogs when they're good dissection. And he Elliot lets all the frogs loose, and then he kisses this pretty girl who he's been having eyes for. He gets on the box. I mean, yeah, he gets, stands up on the box, right? So he's tall enough to kiss her. Erica Aleniak, I think, is yes. her name, right? Yeah, so she was she was a Playboy playmate later on in mm-hmm. life, and she <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> was probably one of her more notable roles was uh, Under Siege, the Steven Seagal film where he's on the Navy vessel and the people come to take over the Navy ship. Oh, she came out of the cake. She's the girl pops out of the cake. Perfect for a Playboy <laughs> playmate, right? Got it. So. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. President. Yes. <laughs> One of the other ones, just kind of an odd character to throw out there, but I'm going to throw out there because I love Battlestar Galactica, the original series. There was Mm -hmm. an actress on that show uh, who played the female lieutenant, Anne Lockhart. She was in this movie just credited as nurse and woman. So I think they had to specify (laughs) that it was a female nurse, I guess. (laughs) Or maybe she played two different roles. I'm not sure. Could have been a background thing. You know, we talk about the actors, but we can't, I mean, the music score for this thing. We can't not talk about that. I mean, John mm. Williams. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Star Wars, Jaws, and this movie. I think he actually won the Academy Award for best score for this movie. Wouldn't actually. surprise me. I mean, yeah. this yeah. film won a lot of stuff. So, Oh, yeah. I, I can hear it. This one of those themes. It feels a little close encounters-y, unsurprisingly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it's more melodic because it's more like it's a 
more heart, more family friendly, but it has the same kind of undertone it felt like to me. I think you have it memorized because you played that Atari 2600 game so much oh, as a kid. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a thing. <laughs> it, it is a fantastic score, without a doubt. Yeah, John yeah. Williams, can he, can he do any wrong? I don't think he can. I don't think I so. He just does, no. If he, if he has, he probably has his name pulled off of it so nobody knows it was his. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'd like my name removed from this project, please. <laughs> For the last of this talent group I saved, I want to talk about the people who played the alien E.T., because it was a squad of people mm-hmm. and not even the, even the puppeteers necessarily that we're talking about, but a lot of people worked together. So we, we had to create the, the creature shop, had to create the puppets and the costumes as it were. So first there's that bad gravelly voice that he has. Yeah. The voice work was done by and large by Pat Welsh. This is a woman who smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. She had that voice already. Oh my and- God. The sound effects creator <laughs> liked the voice. She spent nine and a half hours recording her part, was paid 380 bucks to make the sounds of... Now when I watch it and I know this, it's just like an old woman and like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. what's wrong with... Ellie, I'm going to phone home. What's wrong with you, Mike? <laughs> like more just sisters of the Simpsons? Yeah. <laughs> exactly like them. Exactly like them. I just wonder how they how they figured that into the almost 10% part of the 10 and a half million budget spent on the ET. <laughs> $380. Yeah, it would have been 9% otherwise. There there you go, Pat. (laughs) So that's the voice, but then there is a lot of incredible... You mentioned, you alluded earlier at the top of the show, I said puppetry, right? Character design or whatever. Puppetry was such a small part. There were some animatronics with like facial stuff going on and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But we had several people actually inside of E.T. bringing him to life. Two little people took turns uh, inside the costume, Tamara Detro and Pat Bilon, and then a 12-year-old young man named Matthew Demerit, who was actually born with no legs. Mm-hmm. So in any role where you see him walking around, like the kitchen scene where he's yeah. getting drunk and he's falling over, that's a young man walking on his hands. You'll notice the arms don't move in those scenes because he has his hands and the feet because all his life, that's how he walked around and he was diminutive. Of course, he was short, only about three foot tall. And so this young man with no legs from birth, he was the actor that gave him the most full body characterization that we know of E.T. walking around and, and being him. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Just so many people had to work together to bring this character to life. I know I read at one point at the end of the film where E.T. is hugging Elliot like it's a puppet head, but they got a mime to have gloves, to have very like expressive hands mm-hmm. patting him on the back. <laughs> From shot to shot, it was a different technique, so you never knew what was going to happen, what we were going to see, how much of him was going to move. And that, that surprise helped to bring him to life and keep that heart going throughout. I yeah. think it's something that Spielberg felt like he had to do. Because if you think about it, what did he have right before E.T. as far as a puppetronic or type of character? He had Jaws. And that was mm-hmm. horrific. Went That's why he couldn't horribly. show it on the screen half time. Yeah. And he finally got something to look good. So he used it all the time, all over screen. <laughs> yeah. Even though my memory makes me feel like I didn't see a lot of E.T., when I first watched him, but now go back and rewatching him, I'm like, oh, he's in every goddamn scene. Yeah, he's yeah. everywhere. Once you do get to see him, you see him a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. 
lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show, wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. Each episode of Gen X Grown Up has show notes loaded with links where you can learn more about our topics. And there's even more to see and hear over at GenXGrownUp.com. Get ready. Get set. Thank you. Thank you. And go. What are you waiting for? Let's go! Because Steven Spielberg's E.T. is finally coming home on DVD never-before-seen footage and enhanced visual effects. E.T. The Extraterrestrial, coming soon to DVD, rated PG. There are so many great key scenes and moments from this film uh, as it progresses, and uh, we've highlighted some that we want to talk about here, and I, I want to get started. We've alluded to it several times and talked about it. The beginning of the film, where the kids are sitting around playing Dungeons & Dragons, <laughs> and Elliot wants to play and everything, I just have to watch, I rewound that and watched it again because <laughs> that was so perfect of a snapshot of what I remember playing Dungeons and Dragons was like. It wasn't well coordinated. It was kind of chaotic. Yeah. There was somebody interfering all the time, whether it was a little brother or a sister your or your parents or, or whatever, but they were in the game. They were playing, they were crowded around that little dining room table. And it was such a great scene to remember what that, I mean, George, you're getting back into D&D right now yourself, <laughs> you know, for the kids. I don't know if it reminded you, but it did for me. It was yeah. when my friends got together. It was like that. That's exactly I mean, what it was like. I surely, I'm sure I tried to grab my friend's mother's ass at some point <laughs> I when I played D&D. <laughs> Goodness. Oh, geez. We're going to get more emails now. <laughs> I, I didn't mean that part in particular, but okay, if that fits. <laughs> to me, that was like a perfect picture of what it was like. Because, you know, and the snacks and soda. I mean, it, that's the way mm -hmm. it was. Yep. And we all pitched in for pizza and got yeah. the little brother go get it. And maybe we'll let you play. All that kind Who of stuff. Who told you you could order pizza? Like that was a crime or something. Well, I don't she know. Was mad. Right. I'm like, they paid for it, mom. Shut up. I don't know. Did they just cook dinner or something? I don't know what that was about. Right. Either. Maybe she made dinner and She's like, that was ruined. In her robe? No, she wasn't making dinner. <laughs> oh, she was cooking. <laughs> oh, jeez. I'll, I'll get off of that. Let's move on. I also noticed there was a lot of Atari 2600 in this movie. Yeah. There was one sitting on the TV we saw in a shot. Uh, I saw Centipede and uh, not 2600 specifically, but Centipede and, and uh, Space Invaders t-shirts on kids the big brother was wearing. There was a lot. I think at that time, the Atari was like a VCR. Just everybody had one. And so if you're going to have a, well, you have kids, kind of a sure. suburban <laughs> household with kids, you're going to have one of those. And nobody talked about it. Nobody was playing it. It was just what right. people wore. It was in the room. They had it. And I, I enjoyed seeing so much Atari in a movie of this it era. It had to be part <laughs> of the arrangement, though, because as the movie was being filmed, wasn't that when they went to Atari and said, we need a video game out of this in so yeah. many months? There, there was a partnership with Atari going on, of course. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That all had to be some kind of agreement like hey if you get yep. this thing done we'll have atari shirts in the in the background <laughs> or something but it's not out of place what i'm saying is it makes sense right. in the movie oh yeah, and yeah it's part of that snapshot of the era I, I really like that about it it's one of the things that does make sense in the movie i'm gonna bring up a point that again i think is gonna be unpopular but i don't really care uh there are a 
crap ton of plot holes in this damn movie all over the place <laughs> for example later number one yeah <laughs> let's talk about when the government starts to take over the house uh-huh. okay? okay so the government takes over the house and they're just letting all these people crowd around the end of the driveway at the cul-de-sac no if that was a real government agency they have a whole goddamn block locked down and they would oh, have the, the the spectators oh yeah. i see people in the neighborhood all okay the news and everything yeah. they'd have is that, that locked plot hole is that just like not realistic well same thing um <laughs> okay right, another what point else? then the government people chasing the kids around on the bikes the kids are going up and down those uh little ramped parts of the mm-hmm. new yeah. thing that's being built Right. And the police go, we've got them now. And they just sit and wait at the bottom. <laughs> like like the kids are going to come right to them and they're going to be able to just grab them off their back. They never could catch them. Like there's that one scene where C. Well, Thomas Howell. in the movie. He's, well, no, C. Thomas Howell is <laughs> like uh, writing down. He's like, we got away from him. And then like swarms of adults come out and try to grab him. And none of them can get a hold of this slippery none of them can. Kid. Right. Come on. <laughs> I don't know. So some of that stuff just, I think looking at it with different adult eyes, I just kind of like eh. oh so these are things you noticed before but you just noticed now rewatching when it? Is i was that what you're a saying? kid they all felt real okay yeah and that's why i say there are tons of these kinds of moments in the movie but i don't care that's kind of what i'm uh, yeah you're like right. i'm i'm fine with them being in there because you mentioned john that the atari stuff made the world feel real and the D scene made the world feel mm-hmm. real but to me yep. the stuff that i'm talking about now shows it as more of kind of a childhood fantasy view of what would happen in that. Of real. And that's kind of what I think Spielberg was trying to do. Kids, if you're spunky, you can get away from the authorities, right? Exactly. <laughs> you're smarter than the adults, really. I get you. You can get in the van with your little suit on and drive it away because <laughs> nobody's going to stop you. Sure you can, right. <laughs> I've only gone in reverse. What the hell is he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get what you're saying, George. I mean, okay, so another thing about this movie, talking about like commercializing stuff, though. If I say, think of a candy with this movie, was anyone think of right off the bat? Reese's Pieces. Reese's That's Pieces. Right. It was supposed yep. to be M&M's originally, apparently. I had heard, I'd heard about that. Yeah. 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 And Mars yeah. didn't want them to do it. I guess they thought it would be bad publicity or the alien was too ugly or something weird like that. <laughs> right. We don't want ugly people eating our candy. Yeah, whoever made that decision, I'm sure got fired. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. Unless it was Mr. Mars himself. I don't know. Yeah. Now, were Reese's Pieces a new candy? They were. So, yeah, that's the thing. So okay. they were relatively new, but they were kind of on the downside. They mm-hmm. kind of run their course and they were going to be done. Well, and they weren't M&M's. That's what every, they're still not M&M's. M&M's are candy filled with chocolate. Reese's Pieces yeah, are right. candy filled peanut with peanut, 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 peanut butter. Right, right. Yep. Yep. I That's like right. Reese's Pieces better. Actually, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, it de- depends on my mood. One of each is good too. Take them double, double fist. <laughs> <laughs> After they got placed in ET, sales of Reese's Pieces quadrupled or quintupled. So when you go in the store today and you see Reese's Pieces on the shelf, that is there because they didn't kill it off in 83 as planned because all of a sudden, a whole generation of people had an affinity for Reese's Pieces because they loved this film. And now Reese's Pieces are still available today. Didn't get killed like it would have been. I love (laughs) that about that. You talk about those plot holes. As more I think about it, George, the plot holes didn't bother me. I get the ones you're talking about now and I understand them. But as I was rewatching this, there's a big chunk of the movie in the middle that drags for me. Like the, the beginning, it was interesting and the alien and everything. But from about when Elliot goes to school until when we get to Halloween, there's a whole about 20 minutes in there that not a lot happens. It's poetic stuff happening. The parallel between saving the frogs, but because I value this life, just like I value the alien's life and he let them all free. And like, and E.T. is getting drunk off of some Miller light or something. And yeah. therefore Elliot, who has a connection is getting drunk. 
I understand what they're doing. They're illustrating the connections and mm -hmm. the parallels, but not much is happening. And it felt like a kind of drug. It's hard to get through that for me. But the chase at the end totally made up for it to, to me. When they finally, you said they got in the van, they took off, and the guys <laughs> are swinging the, the big tube in the oh, back. The big and tube thing, yeah. Yeah, that was so fun and exciting. <laughs> so the kid's driving the van. That's one of the, my plot holes. Kid's driving the van. He's getting away with it. They pull the little pins out so the tube falls off the back. And what do they do? Let's stop at the playground and get on the slower form of transportation of the bicycles. <laughs> the bikes. Instead of right. getting everybody in the damn van and driving to Van Nuys or wherever they needed to go. Uh, I didn't even think of that. See, that's kid logic. The bikes are, we know our turf, the one the bikes. That's what he says. Yeah. Like he tells the kid, get the bikes and meet me at the playground. <laughs> that's what they did. <laughs> Something else that came up, you know, we brought up earlier about like filming the movie from a kid height and everything else. Mm -hmm. Do you realize that the only adult that you see for like the first half of the movie is his mom? Like there are no other adults. Just the one chase scene where they're chasing E.T. at the very, very beginning. Oh, oh yeah, just yeah. the waist down. But you don't right. actually you don't see, you don't see the people. Like you see the shadows. Right, right. And, but right. Right. Yep. They're very indistinct. And that was also, I guess he wanted to make sure there was like a kid relatable movie. So I thought that was an mm. important part to him. Speaking of the adult thing where we didn't see any more adults for a while, there's a scene where Drew Barrymore as Gertie, uh, they tell her adults can't see him. So don't tell anybody. And she goes, give me a break. <laughs> that was actually a real reaction from Drew Barrymore that they recorded mm, because oh, really? she was in the moment. That wasn't actually scripted. But interestingly, for a long time, grownups don't see E.T. There's a whole scene where she's putting groceries away and E.T.'s right. right there walking back and forth in the oh, kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Drunk off his ass, just walking back and forth. Yep. Right. And she doesn't see him. And it kind of is, is prophetic that it's not that she's invisible, but she's ignoring him. There's no rational reason there. I would even look around for an alien. So she's just talking to the kids, absentmindedly putting stuff away on the phone, dealing with Elliot. And it's again, it's more of taking the adults and making them the other. They're not the same as us. They don't have the same perception. They don't know as much as we do. You know, it yeah. just dawned on me something else. And I don't, uh, mm. you guys will tell me I'm wrong. I'm sure. <laughs> Try me. We we keep referring to E.T. as he. Good point. Do we ever get told in the movie that it's a gendered male no. alien? Mm -mm. We know the voice no. is female. Because right. we just found that out earlier. I don't think it's supposed to be any gender, I think, is was I think you're right. non-gender specific. I just find that interesting. It's, you know. To your point, it's never said in the movie, clearly. I mean, Elliot might call him a he at some point. Maybe that's where I got it from. I don't know, but. Maybe. I was, yeah. I was just, just dawned on me when you were saying that. Yeah. I'm like, hmm. Right. Okay. I heard these two things when the movie first came out. And I, okay. I didn't bother looking at the internet, but I want to know if you either heard these things or if I'm totally wrong. Okay. I heard that E.T. was supposed to be a child. Yep. A child version of the alien that wandered that off. That was in one of the books, I think, that came out afterwards. And that's why. He, he was a kid that got distracted and wandered off too far away from the car and the parents hmm. had to leave kind of thing. But they all had longer lifespans, I think, was what I read. Okay. And the other thing I heard is that they were collecting plant samples because they thought we were ready to destroy the planet and they wanted to preserve them. Oh, I hadn't heard that. That one I didn't hear, but that sounds like something that I would imagine Spielberg trying to write into the movie. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because it did feel that way very much like the adults were doing all the destructive things. The kids were trying to do all the saving things. Right. I hadn't heard that they thought the earth was going to be destroyed by us, but what I did read that made a lot of sense, and I don't know if this is baked into the story or just interpreted later, is that 
the aliens, you remember at the beginning when E.T. gets stranded, right. they're out there collecting plants. Right, right. And it's the, this race, they are more plant-like. There were scenes on the ship, there, there's plants everywhere and stuff growing everywhere. Oh, yeah, like the big toadstool kind of thing. They were collecting stuff. samples of plants. They didn't care about people at all. Like imagine in, in Star hmm. Trek, we don't go from planet to planet checking out the plants. We go talking to the people, right? But from this E.T. race's perspective, People are just like bugs buzzing around the plants. They're just interested in the plants and the trees and the flowers and stuff. And that's all they were there for, essentially. But I could see how those two, you know, maybe they actually were protecting the plants because they thought we were going to destroy it. That yeah. might be part of the subplot. I don't know. Huh, okay. They said just things I heard as a kid. I remember when that movie came out. I have no idea. Yeah, I think I remember the botanist thing again from a book that came out after the movie ah, did. Okay. Like an extension huh. of the story type of book. There's a lot to think about coming out of this movie because it opens up a lot of possible, uh, whether they're plot holes that you said, yeah. or whether they're just ideas that they don't give you all the information so you can actually build it in your head and figure out what it was to you. I think that makes it that makes it more imaginative yeah. as far as I'm concerned. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. If you're a diehard Gen X grown-up, you can pledge your support by clicking join on YouTube or by becoming a patron at genxgrownup.com slash Patreon. E.T. Shoes from Buster Brown. E.T. Shoes from Buster Brown. E.T. Shoes from Buster Brown. E.T. Shoes from Buster Brown are here, and they're extra terrific. Plus, you get 10 E.T. trading cards, an E.T. sticker, and bubblegum free with purchase. E.T. Available at Bloomingdale's. E.T. was first released, as we have established, 40 years ago now, but it has a long and lasting legacy from the talent that was in it to the impact that it's had on just film in general, you know, Spielberg's legacy. There's a lot to it. And it's a big award-winning film. I, I saw so many awards, I couldn't even list them all. I didn't yeah, think. it was crazy. Yeah, no, I mean, there's not really much point to try and list them all <laughs> at this point. Be, we'll just go over some highlights. So number one, voted okay, great. Uh, the 20th greatest film of all time by entertainment weekly i don't know what the other 19 are Interesting. I, to me it's probably got to be in the top five or ten i i think 20 is a little low mm -hmm. it was also ranked as number six on afi's 100 years 100 cheers list which yeah. i think is appropriate makes sense and number three on afi's top 10 science fiction films now i love this film <laughs> i don't know if it's in the top three science fiction of films of all time it's yeah. close yeah i i put it in the top 10 easy i was gonna say top 10 easy yep i agree so you know it goes up and down but i think the point is that it's so universally beloved that wherever you put it on a list it's going to have a little bit of a debate somebody's going to say well that's mm -hmm. not high enough and somebody else is going to say that's too high oh, but of course. any list I, yeah. I think it shows just how well respected the film mm -hmm. is with where it made it into all these multiple different lists you could almost just go you could pull the but it's et 
Like that's the argument that you make sometimes. Right. And you're people go, no, oh, you got a point. It is E.T. You know, it's just, yep. it's funny that such an amazing movie with so much money behind it and so much consciousness and pop culture never had a sequel. And for, yeah. now mm-hmm. I, for one, am going to say I'm probably glad. Yeah. Because he would have messed it up. Well, if Spielberg did it, maybe not. Who knows? Maybe. Well, so Spielberg and it was working with another writer and he did a treatment yeah. for a sequel called wow. E.T. 2 Nocturnal Fears. Oh, okay. Is this, are we bringing back the D&D kitchen scene again and doing something I don't else know. with it? <laughs> the idea was that Elliot would get kidnapped by evil aliens and somehow the E.T. <laughs> race of aliens would have to intercede to rescue him because of the Were these the, the omnivore aliens as opposed to the botanist aliens? Yeah, yeah right. These are, these are the carnivorous aliens now are here. <laughs> right, exactly. You look delicious. <laughs> mm. Obviously, it never got made. I had heard that title many times in the past. I don't yeah. know if anything ever leaked about it, but... I, well, apparently it didn't go any further. I don't know that I need that film. Yeah, <laughs> necessarily. I do not need that film. No. Again, you know what's the craziest thing, though? I remember this movie actually being in the theater for like a year. Like, from one summer to the next summer, it was playing in a theater in New York. still in the theater. Somewhere. Yeah. That was just crazy that it was still draw people to it after that long. I don't think its record has been broken. I believe it's the, it has the longest ever theatrical run. Wow. Really? No other film has been in the theater. Even though. longer than Home Alone? Because Home Alone was in for a year. Or Titanic, for that matter. People that went back to see Titanic was forever. Titanic in it for I don't know if it was in for a year, but people- I don't know if it's for a year. E.T. was in for over a year. And yeah, it was actually in the theater. I remember seeing it in theaters. Wow. Yeah. Like, forever. Bananas. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's done some crazy stuff to try and protect the film as well. Just- so everybody remembers back in our day, there was a thing called video cassettes. <laughs> and tell video us more, Uncle George. Was, you were talking about that Come on, Grandpa. <laughs> tell us about that. So one thing that they tried to do to try and protect this film, mm-hmm. they released the U.S. VHS tapes on green plastic. Not because it had any significance to the film. Oh, so you couldn't copy them? But because they wanted to mess with the video pirates who were taking films and recopying them and everything. Oh, yeah, you couldn't yeah, yeah. just source green ones green yeah, ones so were not copies. easy to find mm. <laughs> but by december 31st of 1988 the film had sold not rented sold 15 million cassettes yeah i bought one of those i, did I too. had a black one i didn't did, have yeah. a green one you didn't so, have a green one, no. Yeah, mine must have been bootleg too because I don't remember a green one either. Then I bought it on DVD, right? Yeah. Mm. Wow. And that's just the people that bought it. You, you right. said it doesn't count rentals. How many people rented it that didn't buy it? How many people copied it from a friend? How many people recorded it off a TV? It's just everywhere, permeated. Yeah. It's one of the films that had to build a blockbuster type of company. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Well, we alluded earlier to Atari was kind of- <laughs> The elephant in the room. <laughs> they were involved, right? So Atari was- uh, had their hand in the production somewhat. We could do a whole backtrack on the history of the Atari 2600 version of E.T., but they did a video game version of E.T. It was poorly received. If you know the whole story, it was incredibly rushed, despite the talented... uh, developer, Howard Scott Warshaw, that put it together. I know that he's he busted his ass to get it done in just a few weeks. They brought Spielberg in, and Spielberg's big response was, oh, it's this? Why can't it just be more like Pac-Man? <laughs> Are you kidding me right now, Spielberg? Anyway, it, it was ahead of its time. We could debate whether it was good or not. <laughs> That's what we were thinking about. It, it was. It was. Uh, it was. But listen, okay. it was definitely credited with the, the beginning of the end of the North American video game industry in 83 when you it know, started to crumble. John's right about one thing. 
being ahead of its time. And Mo, I know you might not agree with this, but it was ahead of its time in that it was one of the very first narrative video games that was graphically based. So there were narrative video games before that, Zork and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. But graphically based narrative games, they didn't happen that often. So yeah, I think this may have been one of the first ones of those types of games. The big problem with the E.T. game was that you had to read the instructions. And that's not what we wanted to do as kids. <laughs> we want to throw it in and we want to do something. You don't right. read the instructions now. There were obtuse <laughs> concepts that you had to stand in certain places and wait for a certain icon, do certain things. And it wasn't obvious and it wasn't, there was no tutorials. It wasn't like today where you go, stand here and practice how to shoot. No, you just had to figure it out. And kids didn't want to do that. I didn't want to right. do that. I didn't understand it at first. Yeah. In hindsight, it's a little bit better of a game. We can argue about how good or bad E.T. was. And okay, that's it was good. whatever it is, it is. It was good. But good. Yeah, like back in the 80s, they used to make every good movie had a bad ripoff. And this mm-hmm. one had a horrible mm-hmm. one. Did you guys see, remember a movie called Mac and Me? I do. I seen the cover. It looked terrible. How was it? Oh, it was. It, it was, was terrible. <laughs> it was awful. Even when I saw it way back when, it was awful. As much as we said how some of the special effects and some of the visual effects didn't hold up over time. Mm-hmm. Mac mm-hmm. and me didn't hold up at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> it looked like a little puppet on the front of it and he's sitting on a kid's shoulder and it was, it was a clear knockoff of, from the box yeah. art, I could tell it was a knockoff of ET. And, uh, I just, I didn't miss anything. That's good. No, you totally did not <laughs> oh, miss well. anything. So one last topic I want to make sure we talk about, which I think is really interesting and telling about how Spielberg respects ET, at least in hindsight, ultimately he did. When it was time for the 20th anniversary re-release, so 20 years ago now, he spent over $100,000 working on a bit of a remaster. He did the thing where you go back and clean stuff up. George, you Ugh. talked about the kids mm-hmm. flying. They fixed that CG. So it look, or they made it CG, not just composited. There was a better scene there. But the most notable change was to make this a more kid-friendly film, he went in and digitally replaced guns with walkie-talkies in the hands of government agents. And you could go and you can look online. You can see side-by-side. It's well huh. done, but anybody that's holding a handgun or was holding a shot, there's a scene where you see this guy cocking a shotgun when the truck is coming, right? All of that is gone as replaced with walkie-talkies in people's hands instead. He's cocking a walkie-talkie? Well, no, no, they just don't show them holding the shotgun, right? Okay. But anybody who's holding like, any kind that's of gun. an interesting yeah. move. Okay. I'd like to see how that's done. Well, and they added walkie-talkie noises, like, like in the background that weren't in the film to make it more walkie-talkie driven. Hmm. But they he released it, and then in 2011, he thought twice about it. He said, you know what? That was a mistake. I should not have changed the original theatrical E.T. that people remember. With all of its blemishes, with all of its problems, he then decommissioned that, that change he did for the 20th anniversary. And now the the version that's available now, uh, you can still find the 20th anniversary if you want it. But the one that's available when you watch and stream now is the original real version, just the way we saw it in the theater, shotguns and pistols and all. So I I like that he came to his senses and realized once you release a film, it's not yours anymore. It belongs to us. That's the film. We want to see what we remember. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like I have an issue with directors re-editing movies after the fact. You know, it is what it is. Warts and all, you know, that's the movie. Yeah. Especially changing content. It's that whole, you know, Han shot first kind of thing. You change the complexion of the character. If people have walkie-talkies instead of guns, that changes the stakes. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's different now. It's a different story. And so I'm happy that he went back and he corrected his correction and made the original release the release that we remember. And the one that we're still talking about 40 years later, E.T., the extraterrestrial. Man, what a good time going back recapping E.T. I hope you, fourth listener, enjoyed this. Before we get out of this episode, we do want to take just a second to welcome a brand new Patreon patron who joined the ranks. Vern jumped on the bandwagon at that $3 level. He's now a financial supporter of Gen X Grown Up. We thank you so much for putting your money where your mouth is and supporting what we do here over on YouTube, over on the website. It means the world to us. We're grateful to you and everyone who supports us, whether it's at Patreon or over on YouTube or wherever it it may be. That's going to wrap it up for this Backtrack looking at E.T. some 40 years later. We'll be back in two weeks with another Backtrack, but next week, of course, is our regular episode. Until then, I am John. George, thank you so much for being here. Yes, sir. And Mo, you know I appreciate you. Always fun, man. Fourth listener, it's you we all appreciate most of all, though, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. Gen X Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com Unacceptable for grown-ups Your dinner cannot just be french fries Basically, life sucks as a grown-up well, listen, Mo was prepared and didn't do as well as you. <laughs> Damn. He, he knew his coming cold. and took three takes. <laughs> I mean. Fact. That's it. Jesus. Just because I've got the salesman carny side thing going. Carney. Ladies and gentlemen. That's what I feel like whenever I'm doing this. Come up. Check your weight. Check your height. Check your age. Win a stuffed little steak. Coming up. On 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.